Arif, the mantra this year has been, it's not about ego, it's about winning. But I think after a performance like that, we deserve to pump the ego a little bit of Nazem Kadri, right? I mean, welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me, Arif Dean, here to break down game four. Avs take a commanding 3-1 lead in the series, but... It was Nazem Kadri's night. Nazem Kadri revenge tour. Nazem Kadri gets his hat trick after all the buffoonery that goes on after game three. Arif, I know you got a lot to say. We'll get into the heavy stuff at the end of the podcast. For now, let's break down the X's and O's and the results of games three and four. Let's do it. I mean, there was no better way for Nazem Kadri to respond to anything and everything that he's dealt with the last 48 hours. Um, and let's again, let's let's keep the heavy stuff aside for a second. There's no better way for him to respond to everything and anything he's dealt with from the blues, from the coaches, you know, comments the other day, which he called bulletin board material, which we'll get into that. Just an epic quote from Nazem Kadri to uh, the way that the players, you know, were upset with the call that that well, the call that didn't get called the other day when he ran into Bennington with Callie Rosen, that collision that injured the goalie. Throughout all of that, the best response for Nazem Kadri was to come out and prove on the ice that he can be the guy that we want him to be, that Avalanche fans want him to be, that everybody knows he could be, that made Joe Sakic believe in him once again coming into the season, and he did exactly that. First career NHL hat trick in the Stanley Cup playoffs, added an assist on the empty net goal. He was targeted multiple times. He put it all aside. He didn't make the ex- he didn't take the extra hit. He didn't make the extra whack or hack. He finished the game with zero pims, not a single penalty, only two hits, played 15 minutes and had four points and was a plus four. Just an epic performance from Nazem Kadri tonight. Yeah, I mean, the Avalanche needed a performance from one of their big guys, right? I mean, we've been looking at Rantanen. We've been looking at McKinnon since this Blue Series started. And even Kadri. Kadri, you know, wasn't really producing at the level that we had seen him producing all year long. So to see one of the big guys step up was awesome. But to see it be Nazem Kadri even bigger because of just the circumstances. But awesome for him um, to, to lead the way, right? I mean, like... Coach Bednar said after at the press conference after the game, he was kind of worried about the way Nazem Kadri was going to approach this game. Well, worry no more, Jared Bednar. Nazem Kadri approached it perfectly. He kept his head down, put the work in, and uh, got the goals. And that's exactly what you wanted to see from him. Resiliency is often something that we talk about in the in, in the sporting world, not just in hockey, but you know. In athletics, we talk about resiliency as someone that goes through a bit of a rut on the ice. You know, we all remember Matt Duchesne many years ago going through a goal-scoring slump, finally scoring, and literally, like, you can animatedly see him, like, grab the monkey off his back and throw it. And we talk about that kind of resiliency. We talk about players that get injured and come back in that type of resiliency. You know, we've seen Pavel Francouz miss an entire season. But it's the real-life resiliency that makes the best type of athlete, the best type of person. For Nazem Kadri, who openly talked about in his post-game press conference, after dealing the last 48 hours with all the threats and the racism and the Islamophobic comments and all the shit that was targeting that was targeting him, which led to like police presence at the Avalanche's hotel in St. Louis, he comes out and says, I'm mentally stronger than a lot of other people to be able to handle that kind of a thing. 
and to come out and be resilient. So when Jared Bednar was talking about his worry of Nazem Kadri being able to respond and being able to play, it wasn't about, oh, I'm scared of this guy's going to go out there and do something boneheaded. It wasn't, oh, I'm scared Kadri is in a goal-scoring slump or in a hockey slump. It was Nazem Kadri, the real-life person. I'm worried for him and where his head is at after the last 48 hours. And despite all of that, Kadri was able to do what he did. And that's the type of resiliency that we need to speak more of. It's the type of resiliency that we see from black athletes when they deal with the things they deal with and they come out and they play. It's the type of resiliency we've seen from Kevin Hayes, who lost his brother you know, back in August, right before training camp, went through surgery uh, or went through a recovery after surgery and was able to come back. Those are the resiliencies that make that are that make the best stories that are the ones that should be highlighted more than, you know, I'm a goal scorer and I went 10 games without a goal and and Kadri proved today that resiliency is in fact in his blood, ice in his veins. Yeah, agreed. I mean, obviously Kadri has it to a different level, but I think his teammates deserve some credit there as well because it's not easy to have all that outside noise heading into the game and they got out of that first period 1-1. And you know that first period had emotions running high and it was probably tough to, to stay focused, but that's exactly what you saw tonight. You saw a team that was heading into this game with focus on their mind and you had the other team heading into this game with emotion on their mind, right? And I think that's the difference in play that you saw. You saw the Blues really come in and play in a good game, but they were riding a f- an emotional high. They're were, they were just riding emotional roller coasters, I guess, emotional waves, whereas the Avalanche had a goal in mind, were focused. You heard it a million times for Jared Bednar. It's about winning, it's about winning, it's about winning. That's what they kept their minds on, and that's what they were able to achieve tonight. So, yeah, Nas obviously gets 10 times the shout-outs on the resilience, but I think his teammates did a great job of avoiding distractions as well. And it starts with the top, and it starts with the guy that you quoted earlier. It's Jared Bednar. Jared Bednar being able to bring this team together to have open conversations about this stuff and to basically, you know, coming off of a victory. Like we talked to Nathan McKinnon just a few days ago when you and I did a post-game presser after a post-game podcast after game two, Nathan McKinnon came out and he said, you know, very openly and positively said, you know, we're going to go to St. Louis. We're going to try to steal one, hopefully steal two. And we're going to come back here with the series lead. And that's what they did. And, you know, This is a team that after game three had a two to one series lead. They came to St. Louis. They already stole the one game that Nathan McKinnon was hoping they could steal. And they were the ones that needed a talking to from the coach. They were the ones that needed to kind of bounce back in a mental way, in a in a preparation way, following all the things that have happened. Yeah, and that's just been obviously their mantra within the dressing room, right? It's not about ego, it's about winning. It's not about ego, it's about winning, and that's exactly what you're seeing from them. I mean, they could have easily gone in there and gotten into the stuff, right? We saw Shen try to get in Kadri's face, and he shrugged it off. You could have seen Landeskog go be the mighty captain that he tends to be and go stick up for his teammate, but no, he focused on the task at hand, and Jared Bednar pushed all that aside. You know, I know it's easy for... Avs fans to get riled up and see all the uh, you know comments from Blues fans and all the, uh, the the bad takes out there and to feel like they've got to respond with physicality and violence and um, you know just reciprocating what they're receiving. But no, Jared Bednar's keeping the team focused and I think he maybe throughout his career has learned the hard way that that's just not the way to get it done. And so keeping that team's focus, it's trickling down and yeah, you just love the mindset from the avalanche i mean you've loved it all year long right it's been a different vibe since the beginning of the year and now you're really seeing them reap the benefits 
Yeah, the it's not about ego, it's about winning mantra is a lot better than win at all costs because we've seen what win at all costs means. Win at all costs is what led, leads to, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks of 2010, which we saw boil over this year, 11 or 12 years later. Uh, it's not about winning or it's not about ego, it's about winning just is a much better way to approach things where you're going to tackle the real life things that happen. You're going to have conversations about the shit Kadri's been going through. You're going to have conversations about the fact that, you know, there's a police presence outside of the Avalanche's hotel covering for Kadri because they're taking these threats seriously as they should. And you're having those conversations. You're openly talking about it, but then you're eventually getting to the we got to go out there and play a game and that's what we're here to do and what we're here to do and we're here to win a game and once again for the fourth time in this series the St. Louis Blues scored the first goal the resilient avalanche won the game three out of four times though and i think if you look at coach Berube's handling of the situation you know i'm sure and you you heard Jared Bednar even get his back a little bit as well i think you know he probably wish he could handle a little bit a little bit differently but in all honesty I think he might be using this as kind of an anchor to tie his ship to right I mean he didn't have much fuel for his team we heard Nazem Kadri talk about the idea of bulletin board material right well Craig Berube didn't really have much to I guess fuel his team with so maybe he used this Kadri um, incident with Bennington and just fueled the, fueled the fire, you know, used it to energize his team a little bit because um, but in doing so he energized the wrong team. sure Sure. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying it worked for him. I'm just saying maybe yeah. he's not <laughs> he quite tried. the bad guy that we're pinning him out to be. He's just kind of trying to use anything that he can because he knows he needs everything he can get against this team. I, My issue with Craig Berube's handling of this is the – just uh, again, it's just the way he's handled anything related to Nazem Kadri. And I hate to go there, but I'm going to fucking go there because I've been going there for three days. For a guy that has been suspended in the past in 1997 as an NHL player for calling Peter Worrell. Remember Peter Worrell? He's played for the Avs. Sure do. For calling Peter Worrell a monkey, black man Peter Worrell, a monkey on the ice and getting suspended for that in 1997 as a player. For him to come out and openly two comments. The first one, I'm not going to say there is a racial connection, but there is something there that is just really silly of him to take this approach where, you know, there's no penalty on the play. Nazem Kadri and Callie Rosen, who were once teammates and both traded to the Avalanche together, love the connection there for Tyson Berry and Alex Kerfoot. But Callie Rosen and Nazem Kadri collide with each other, collide into Jordan Bennington. No penalty on the play, as there shouldn't have been. Just like there shouldn't have been a penalty on the play that, you know, saw Ivan Barbashev literally run over Sam Jordan, knock him out of the playoffs, poor guy. But no penalty on the play. Uh, something St. Louis didn't like, but it wasn't it wasn't an open you know this isn't Jared Spurgeon uh, cross checking the ankles of Pavel Buchnevich in round one where you're just sitting there like what the hell how do you miss that call and how do you not even suspend the guy like this was a fifty fifty battle that led to a collision and Barube's comments on the situation have nothing to do with the play itself he just comes out and says. Look at Kadri's reputation. That's all I have to say on that. So as if to, you know, basically say that Kadri, being who he is and the things that he's done in the past, obviously was purposely trying to attack Bennington here and knock him out of the game. That's number one. The one that upsets me even more, and I know Jared Bednar had his back on it. 
I love and I respect Jared Bender, and he's a wonderful person to work with, but I respectfully disagree with this side of it. Um, again, he has said this before when we've talked about other things with COVID and you know the Black Lives Matter stuff in the past where you don't have to have an opinion on everything. When a professional athlete or a coach is asked of every specific topic, you don't have to have an opinion. And I understand that, but it's also not hard and it's also not an opinion to condemn something that's wrong. So that's where I disagree with Jared Bednar. And I will openly tell Jared Bednar that, that when Craig Berube is asked about, he's not asked about Nazem Kadri being targeted by the Blues on the ice. He's not asked about Nazem Kadri being targeted as an athlete and how, you know, this guy knocked out your goalie. He's asked about Nazem Kadri being targeted with racial uh, and vile Islamophobic comments and life-threatening threats, like they're like like death threats, like attacking threats. Like again, police are involved in this, and the NHL and the Avalanche have been working together to have a police presence. All he has to say is exactly what we're all thinking. Hey, maybe that's a little too far. Hey, nobody should ever go through that. Hey, maybe I hate Nazem Kadri and he's a piece of shit on the ice and he knocked out my goalie and I genuinely believe he did it on purpose and he's the same motherfucker that knocked out my defenseman last year, but don't attack the dude because he's Arab and Muslim and don't give him death threats for a sport and a game. That's all he had to do and he didn't do that either. So Nazem Kadri's comments were excellent today. He didn't go out there and say that, you know, that Craig Berube's comments where his, you know, that that Craig Berube was wrong. He just went out there and said, their coach made some comments I wasn't a fan of. I guess he's never heard of bulletin board material. So Nazem Kadri, being the change man he is this year, being the guy that was given another chance by Joe Sackick, being the guy that we all genuinely believe outside of a couple of reporters that wrote some boneheaded ass articles last year, that the play with Justin Falk was not a boneheaded play like his past suspensions. It was genuinely a hockey play got wrong, gone wrong. That Nazem Kadri is a change man, that he came out and his responses and his way of uh, dealing with things like this is a lot different than in the past. Rather than going out there and trying to hit someone, rather than going out there and trying to fight someone, trying to chirp someone, he took the bulletin board material and he turned it into a hat trick. And that was the best response. And the Avalanche have a 3-1 to one series lead. So Craig Berube did fuck up. And I know what he was trying to do. But like you said, he didn't succeed at it. Right. I mean, we headed into the series looking at the coaching matchup, right? And looking at the coaching battle and saying, oh, well, Coach Bednar has been out coached in years past and we named the playoff years. And um, now that we're talking yes. about Barubi fueling the wrong fire and Jared Bednar keeping the team calm and keeping the mindset where it needs to be, is it safe to say that Jared Bednar is winning the coaching matchup here this series? Absolutely. Let's, let's go back to the vibes after game two. You know how many people privately texted me in the industry and in my personal life saying the Avalanche are going to blow this after that game two loss? The vibes coming out of that game was you've got three or, or sorry, you've got four goals on Jordan Binnington in two games after putting up 90 plus shots and you're coming to St. Louis and they're going to be on at, at home and they stole home ice advantage and blah, blah, blah. None of that matters anymore. That was the vibe coming into the series. That was a vibe coming into these two games. We saw the Avalanche respond well, and we saw them rebound well in Game 3. And then after the Game 3 victory, we just talked about the response that they had to have and the fact that they had to have conversations about real-life things. But look at on the ice. Sam Gerrard's injured. Jared Bednar had to bring somebody in. He brought in Jack Johnson over Ryan Murray. Andre Burakovsky hasn't been producing. He freaking healthy scratches him. 
brings in Alex Newhook, and then he even changes the top lines. He switches the centermen around. He has Kadri playing with Rantanen and uh, Nichushkin. He has McKinnon starting with Lekkinen and Landeskog. And then we saw that blender get blended up again when we saw McKinnon back with Rantanen and Landeskog. So the Avalanche coming into this series, you knew that Jared Bednar needed to be a better coach and to handle the coaching within the series well. They win game one. Craig Berube gets the upper hand on him game two. And what did I say at Ball Arena the other day? I said, Jared Bednar, it's his turn to make the bounce back, to make the adjustments. He made the adjustments for game three and won. And then he still made adjustments for game four, all the while knowing we're up two to one, but we expect another adjustment from St. Louis. And what did it lead to? Doubling him up nearly in shots, 36 to 20, out shooting him 27 to seven at one point, leading four to one. A couple of Dumb chintzy calls, as Eric Johnson called them. Double of bad penalties by the Avs. Uh, leads to two power play goals to make it 4-3 to three in a close game again. But ultimately, the Avalanche came out swinging in that second period, and it's because of the adjustments Jared Bednar made. Well, let's get deeper into those guys. I mean, we saw Logan O'Connor jump in for Game 3. We saw Alex Newhook and Jack Johnson for Game 4. Not really game-changing players, right? You, you hear those yeah. names, and it's not like, wow, those guys are X-Factors. They're going to really changed the pace of this series but all three of them came in and made an impact they all did and, and we saw logan o'connor in game three scored the first goal we saw jack johnson tonight played pretty good 15 minutes he was there on the pk he was there at even strength and you know he was somebody that i was curious if he was going to be the choice because ryan murray has played with josh manson before and instead jared benner elected to go with the veteran so great move by him to come in again this is a guy making league minimum and then for alex newhook he had a couple of nice chances there there was that setup from jt Comfer where Braden shen broke it up at the last second right in front of the goal uh you know this is a kid that's coming in energized and ready to rock and roll and again you're so deep and you're so good that you can sit andre burakovsky when he's not producing that that says a lot about this team you can replace Sam Gerrard with another defenseman that you know you can trust. And if Jack Johnson's game goes a little, you know, south, we'll call it, then you still have Ryan Murray. Uh, if you want to go to the Curtis McDermott, well, you can. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of options. But all of these guys have been game changers. I mean, Nicholas Abe-Kubel starting the playoffs and literally playing every freaking game, I feel like we have to talk about him, has been a game changer. And this is just a third-line winger. Andrew, Caglia Andrew Cagliano and, and uh, Darren Helm on the fourth line. These are two guys that have been healthy scratches in the past, could be healthy scratches in the future, but are proving right now that you aren't taking these guys out of the lineup because they're producing as well. So everybody is playing a part in this, and that's the way you win Stanley Cups. Even your fourth liners, even your, your third-pair defensemen have to be a big part of it, even if they're not big names, and that's what we're seeing from the Avs. With that, the sacrificial lamb, of course, had to be Andre Burakovsky, I guess. Yep. Has he played poor enough for you to back this decision? And does Jared Bednar have to double down now for Game 5 and continue to scratch and sit Andre Burakovsky? I don't know if you need to continue to scratch him. Uh, that's a decision Jared can make based off of the bottom six guys because the top six guys are all playing well. Uh, if somebody played, let's call it, not well enough to warrant being sat, then I would definitely bring Berkey back in. Uh, even if that means sitting Newhook again and just bringing Burkowski back in. But the reality is when you're this good a team, if you have somebody who's being a passenger, and that's a very harsh way of explaining Burkowski's game. I'm not trying to attack him, but let's face it. He hasn't been producing. So... The best way to get somebody to respond is to sit him for a game. I mean, we talked about this. Uh, you know, we've seen this with the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning aren't afraid. John Cooper is not afraid to uh, sit any one of his guys when they're not playing well. 
he pulled Andre Vasilevsky halfway through a game as a coach who, leading up to this season, the only time John Cooper has ever replaced a goalie is during an intermission. Even if Vasilevsky lets in five goals in a period, he never pulls his goalie halfway through a period. He always pulls him at the intermission, and he pulled Vasilevsky halfway through a game. He put all the stars on notice that if I'm going to pull this guy, guy that could have won two straight Consumite trophies, then I can sit any one of you. And Andre Burakovsky, like you said, that's a sacrificial lamb. That's to basically say, we have a lot of guys here. You're sp We have a lot of guys here. Your spot is not given. It's earned. And Andre Burakovsky has to earn his spot in the lineup. Well, we heard that uh, he, he Jared Benar really liked the way Alex Newhook played. You know, he stuck his nose in some dirty areas. He got involved. He got an assist. Right. So, I mean, did he did does he warrant getting back out of the lineup? Right. Because, I mean, it's essentially new hook for Burakovsky. And I think new hook played well enough to maintain a spot there for a little bit. I agree. And he was a plus two. He only played eight minutes. And, you know, that was something that was made very clear is that. Alex Newhook was the 12th forward on the ice. You know, I don't know how many times Andre Burakovsky was only playing eight minutes. I doubt it was much. But looking at the bottom six, Darren Helm played 11.43, JT Comfort 10.57, Logan O'Connor 9.16, uh, Andrew Cogliano 10.13, and actually the only guy that played less than him was Abe Kubel 7.34. So Newhook wasn't coming in playing 12, 13, 14 minutes. He came in and played eight minutes, and he did good in that role. So the best way to look at it is this is – you know, is 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 Newhook going to be a better contributor than Andre Burakovsky? Maybe yes, maybe no. And you know, I can ask the other the question the other way around about Berkey, and it's the same answer. Maybe yes, maybe no. But as an eight minute a night person, who would you rather have? I'm pretty sure at this point, it's probably Alex Newhook, especially given the way he played tonight. Yeah, I mean, shout out to him. It can't be easy to jump into your first playoff game while everybody else is in their eighth playoff game, right, getting your feet wet while everybody's already in the swing of things. And, and he did well, made himself noticed, and uh, even got on the score sheet. So props to Alex Newhook. Yeah, and again, he almost scored a goal there when JT Comfer set him up in the crease. If he was one step closer to the puck, he probably could have buried that. So uh, it was nice to see him come in. And like I said, when you sit for seven games and your team goes 6-1 and one and you're playing on a good team, you're fired up any chance you get to get into the lineup. And you know Alex Newhook was going to be fired up, and he was. I guess here's a good spot for us to take a second while we're shouting people out and shout out our friends over at Total Beverage over in Thornton and Westminster. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster, right? Sure, they have an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available, and did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, or even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need, and more. Um, Arif, in the last four games... The Avalanche have given up the first goal of the game in every single one. Now, it's frustrating from a fan standpoint, right, be, to put yourself in that position early, and now suddenly everybody's heart rate is up and you're hoping for a comeback, but they're getting it done. They're getting the job done. They're making these comebacks happen, just like we kind of saw them do all year. But what gives? What's putting them in this situation early, and how do they prevent that from continuing from this point forward? The very first post-game presser of this series, in Game 1, Jared Bednar said the St. Louis Blues are an opportunistic team, and that's what's been leading to this. The Avalanche aren't playing bad games. Game 2, the Blues came out swinging, and they scored the first goal, and they never really looked back. 
Game three, uh, despite St. Louis scoring the first goal with Bennington in net, it wasn't a matter of them kind of controlling play. Uh, the only worry in game three, you know, as a fan, is you're probably watching that and thinking, we just gave up the first goal again after Jordan Bennington had the two games he had in Denver. That's not good. Obviously, Bennington got hurt shortly after that. And then today, I cannot stress enough that St. Louis scoring the first goal, I don't know about anybody else, but on my end, it didn't feel like it shook the abs at all. They were out shooting them immensely. They had a far greater first period. Going into that first intermission, you didn't feel like the Avalanche were hurting at all from that game. 15 to 3 in shots. 15 to 3, yeah, thank you. So, you know, <laughs> Darcy Kemper went in with a sparkling 667 save percentage because he only faced <laughs> three shots and let in one goal. So, uh, I don't know what gives. I think it's St. Louis is just really good at those counterattacks. But what we've seen from the Avalanche is, number one, they're good at responding well. They're good at that resiliency of getting back into a game, which we've seen them now come from behind and win three out of four games. Uh, but the second thing is, when the Avalanche do come from behind, they tend to rattle the Blues. And that's not something that I expected going into this series, but that's something that we've seen every single time here. Because the only game that the Avalanche were unable to come from behind were when St. Louis took a 2 to nothing lead. And that was in Game 2. In Games 1, 3, and 4... The Avalanche went down one nothing. they tied it up 1-1, one -one, and the Blues never got a lead after that. And that's what you want to see from the Avs. They get in, they get back into the game, and they keep a hold of it. So um, is it something to be worried about? I'm not too sure. At this point, it would take a collapse to lose this series. It's definitely not won, but if you're the Avalanche, losing this would be an epic failure. Um, so going into the next round, whatever is happening that's allowing you to let in the first goal, that's something that they'll discuss. They're probably already discussing it now before game five, but that's something that you can plan for heading into the next series as well. Yeah, you brought up Darcy Kemper's not-so-spectacular first intermission save percentage. Um, and I, I guess, you know, since the eye injury, he's something he's somebody I've kept under a microscope, and I think we all have, right? Really trying to keep an eye on the way he's playing and if it's – the Darcy Kemper we all know and love. So that being said, how do you grade him and his performance so far in the series? Is he playing up to par for you? Do you think there's another level he can be reached, or, or do you think he's playing well enough and is doing exactly what the Avs need here? I, I think he's playing well enough, and, and I know that some people might not agree with that, and I know that today the Avalanche surrendered three goals on just 20 shots, but Darcy Kemper... There's two ways to look at this. Number one, is does is he needed to steal games? No. When is he letting in those goals? So game one, we saw the Avalanche go up. You know, they gave up a late goal for St. Louis to tie the game. And then, you know, they were up 2-1. to one. St. Louis scored a late goal. And then they won it in, in overtime. Darcy Kemper had a pretty good game that night. He obviously didn't face any shots in overtime. In game two, it's not like he completely let the game slip away. It was one nothing, two nothing, two one, and then the Blues eventually made it three one off of a breakdown of the net and empty netter. In game three, um, the Avalanche take the lead. St. Louis adds a goal. Uh, the Avalanche keep the lead at a couple, well, one empty netter because technically the first one was not an empty netter. Really, Huso was at the blue line when they scored. And then today, the Avalanche have a four to one lead when he lets in two goals. The fact of the matter is, he's not letting in the goals at the at the bad times. Um, 
He's letting in the goals when the entire team is kind of breaking down when they're trying to defend a lead. So it's not 1-1 and he's letting in a goal. It's not 2-2 two two late in the third and he's letting in bad goals. It's the Avs are up 4-1. to one. They're letting in two goals. You're kind of like <gasps> gasping going into the third period and then they win 6-3. So that's kind of the feeling that I'm getting. It's the same thing as in game, game three, the first game in St. Louis when the Avalanche had a two-goal lead, let in a goal late in the third or late in the second and had a one-goal lead heading into the third period. So... Is he playing great? No, but he's playing more than what you need right now. And, and you know, it's hard to really judge him because he hasn't had a game where he needs to be locked in, where the Blues are handling the play, where it's a tight game late in the game. Uh, the only time he had anything like that was in the first game when it was 2-2 two to two heading into overtime, and he did pretty well late in the third period. So um, it's hard to really judge someone when they're not facing the adversity or the, or the shots and, and things like that. So... I kind of am going to say that his grade is to be determined for now. I think his saving grace is the fact that he's making these big saves at big times, right? You're, you're right. He's not getting the shot volume to really impress anybody. Um, but the third period saves have been monstrous for him. I mean, we remember tonight, sure, St. Louis still had a two-goal deficit to overcome, but he put that to rest by making a big save there on a two-on-one, right, and a, and a slide across the crease and getting his blocker on it. And, and that's what we see out of him. Um, so he's been exactly what they need to be, considering that they don't really let many shots get to him. So, uh, yeah, I, I like Darcy Kemper's game so far. I think he's going to keep getting better, just like he did through the regular season. And, and we're still, we still haven't seen peak Darcy Kemper in the playoffs yet. And we haven't needed to, and that's the most important part. He's he's made the big saves when the Avalanche have needed it. That overtime game against Nashville where they won off the Kilma Car goal, he actually did have to make saves in that one because the Avalanche actually surrendered some shots in that one, and he was pretty good at it. Um, but to answer the other part of your question, I don't feel like the eye injury is affecting him at all. It was a stick that hit him below the eye. It puffed up his eye, um, and then that was basically it. So... Um, I, I don't really think that the eye injury is going to affect him. It's just about him getting back in the swing of things. My only thought is that it's kind of mental, right? You kind of have that urge to flinch maybe a little bit more rapidly than you would otherwise. I think that's the only thing with with your reactions. Obviously, I don't think it's going to affect his game. It's not going to affect his movement. It just might affect his reactions and the way you know he he reacts to the puck. Yeah, that's true. Um but, you know, this is a guy that's also had this injury once before. So at this point, he's like, we're good. I don't got to I don't got to worry about like, I don't think it's going to hurt him to, you know, feel like there's a stick that might get him because it's he's not going to get in his head if he hasn't over the last three years since the last time it happened to him. So we've seen Darcy Kemper play good hockey since the first time it happened to him. And we're going to see it happen. We're going to see him play good hockey again after the second time it happened to him a couple weeks ago. All right, well, let's look ahead at Game 5 on Wednesday night. Getting the early start since Tampa Bay, Florida was ended uh, in four games here. So Avs getting to play at 6 o'clock Mountain on on uh, Wednesday. My question to you, do you think it's over? Is it done in five games? Do you think that tonight was the game for the series and that the Blues just simply are out of it mentally? I do. I genuinely do. And... Uh... It's hard to put down a team like that because any team can come back. But looking at the trends the last few years, in 2019, when the Avalanche took a 3-1 to series lead over the Flames, they closed it out the first chance they got. In 2020, when they took a 3-1 to series lead over the Arizona Coyotes, they closed it out the first chance they got. 2021, 3 to nothing on St. Louis, closed it out the first chance they got. 2022, 
three to nothing lead on Nashville, closed it out the first chance they got. Every time they have a chance to win a series, they do it minus the game sevens. And obviously against Vegas, they didn't have a chance. They were down three two. Every time they have a chance to close out the series and the other team is on the brink and it's not a game seven, they do it right away. And I feel like that's just their mantra. And, and, and you know, they, they want to close things out as soon as they can. Um, and as long as it's not a game seven, they don't feel that pressure and they're going to do it again. That's that's my opinion. I think it ends in Denver on Wednesday and then the Avalanche are heading to the third round with an eight and one record. Yeah, I just think St. Louis is deflated and reading body language. I don't think they internally even believe they have a chance they had their shot they let it slip through their fingers and based off of last year and this year right I mean that's eight games now in a row that they've lost seven against this team so I think it's it's hard for them to confidently believe in themselves right now yeah of course and and there's no reason for them not to believe in themselves and no reason for them not to believe they can come out and win this in five it's simple as that. Yep, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think that's all we have for the wrapping up of tonight's game. I know you have a couple things you wanted to get off your chest. So which direction do you want to take this podcast as we uh, head to the last couple minutes of it? Let's let's go with the uh, let's go with my tweet from Saturday night. That one has gained a lot of traction. A lot of people have been saying a lot of things and. I don't want to clear it up in the sense where I'm going back on what I said, but I want to clear it up in the sense of what I was trying to say and what I was trying to reiterate that people seem to not want to listen to. So here's the deal. Nazem Kadri had a water bottle thrown at him by Jordan Bennington after the game. And I'm going to preface this by saying we know that Jordan Bennington has made racist remarks in the past. He's talked about women that wear the burqa, which is what the Islamic women wear when they cover their entire face. He's made comments about a brown taxi man. I don't want to hear you talking on the phone in your native language when I'm in your taxi cab. He's made some dumb tweets. And people always say he was young. He was stupid. He was 19, 20, and 21. Those were his ages when he made those tweets. If Alex Newhook, who's 19 or 20, if Bowen Byram, who's at that age, if, if Kale McCarr, who's a little bit older than that age, tweet something boneheaded they're in trouble we're not going to sit there and say that they were young and stupid so i don't buy that this wasn't a 13 year old this was a 19 or 20 or 21 year old professional hockey player playing in the east coast in the ahl when he tweeted these things so i'm going to preface it by saying that he had a water bottle thrown at him and i simply came out and i tweeted and i said i'm going to go there that you know what? Nazem Kadri getting a water bottle thrown at him away from the ice after the game is the type of thing the NHL has to address. If not, assumptions will be made. I'm going there. And then I followed it up with, I'm not beating around the bush here. The assumptions are pertaining to Nazem Kadri's skin color. So I got a ton of traction on this. I had a lot of people asking me what I mean by this and saying, how dare I call uh, Jordan Bennington racist and whatever. Let me make this clear. And I made it clear with some of the responses on the tweet. I did not call Jordan Bennington racist. Do I think he might be racist? Oh, yeah, it's not hard to predict that given the things he said in the past. But what I said was the NHL has to address this. The NHL once suspended Jordy, uh, Jordan Ben, I believe, uh, Jamie Ben, sorry. The NHL once suspended Jamie Ben for squirting water at an op- opposing player on the ice. So for Jordan Bennington off the ice to throw a water bottle at Nazem Kadri, given the treatment he's gotten from the league, given the way that they've treated him in the past, I said the NHL has to address this. And if they fail to, assumptions will be made that the NHL is not addressing something targeting an Arab Muslim NHL player. So am I calling Jordan Bennington racist? No, but you can go ahead and decide for yourself if you want to call him that. And I'll go ahead and decide for myself if I want to call him that privately. 
What I was saying was the NHL f needed to respond to this, and they failed to, and now assumptions are made. So that's the way that I was going with that tweet. And then following that up today with, you know, what we talked about earlier about Craig Berube, um, I do think that Craig Berube saying no comment, given his past, given what we know about him calling Peter Worrell a monkey in the past, given the fact that it's not hard to condemn something that's wrong, I do believe that Craig Berube is part of the problem for taking that approach. And I'm going to go ahead and say what, you know, you and I, well, what you end every podcast with, and this was an idea that you had to say, let's make hockey for everyone after the end of every single episode because of, and a tweet from Akeem Alou basically saying that, I got a lot of people telling me on Saturday night and a lot of people Sunday morning saying to me that it's not about race, it's not about his skin color, it's about him being a dipshit, it's about him being an asshole and injuring another St. Louis Blue, and it's about his reputation in the NHL and all the suspensions and all of this and all of that, only to have Akeem Alou himself come out last night as I was getting all these tweets and all these DMs and say, I talked to Nazem Kadri about his inadvertent collision with Bennington. He has been subject to so many racist attacks and threats since last night that police had to be brought in. So I rest my case. It always is about race. It always is about the skin, the, the color of his skin. And if you fail to notice that, you're part of the problem too. I hate to break it to you, but you are. So back to my original tweet. No, I did not come on Twitter and call Jordan Bennington a racist. I came and said that if the NHL doesn't address this properly, assumptions will be made. And now assumptions are being made because they did not. And I rest my case. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see a lot of people's sides on this thing, and I, I get everybody's point of view. What people have to understand for you as a Muslim, American, Canadian, um, you know, everything that you are, that this is much more sensitive topic for you, and there's a lot more that you've been through that makes your sensitivity heightened to this, and people need to approach that with sensitivity themselves, and they need to be aware of that. And, um, you know, I think the toughest thing here is just seeing the the hockey culture being where it is right now, right? You think that there's progress made and you think that there are nothing but good hockey fans out there, but then you see what people post on Twitter and you see the backlash that you get for just simply posting your opinion that you're completely entitled to have. I think it's disgusting and obviously the death threats and the racism towards Nazem Kadri is disgusting and there's just no place for it, but obviously there is a place for it because it's not frowned upon nearly as much as it should be so it sucks that it's the way it is and uh, I hate it and it makes me tired of being part of the hockey culture I love hockey but I hate what the culture's turned into right now and it'd be nice if we could all just take one collective step forward and get away from this garbage and we can take those collective step forwards when Craig Berube as a head coach isn't coming out 20 something years after getting suspended for calling a black man a monkey on the ice and condemning racism. That's that's all he needed to do. Uh, I understand, again, I understand Jared Bednar's stance on this, but all he needed to do was come out and say that was wrong and let's not do it again. Uh, but he didn't. He decided, he decided to double down. And in doing so, he's allowing his fan base to double down. So that's my issue with that. Um, and don't get it twisted. I'm thick-skinned to this stuff. I got many, many DMs, and I'm not closing my DMs because this doesn't make me want to close my DMs. I'm still happy to hear from lovely people that want to have conversations about hockey because I'm a nerd and I love this sport and this game of, you know, this game of hockey in the NHL. But the amount of DMs that I got calling me a clown, calling me this, calling me that, delete your account, racist comments, all this, 
I don't care. I just go through them and I delete them. I'm thick-skinned. It doesn't affect me. But I will continue to share my opinions. I will clarify what I'm saying when I need to. And, and I, I will believe what I believe. And it's that hockey culture still has a lot of work to do. And Nazem Kadri came out today and said, you know, that... And I agree with him that the comments don't... The comments that he saw in the tweets and, and, and the hateful remarks don't lay like you're not going to label all of the St. Louis Blues fans as that because that's not what they are and I agree with that but as he said for the ones who hate this one's for you and it's regarding his hat trick his four point night and the avalanche taking a three to one series lead just an epic performance from Kadri and uh one where he faced real adversity not on ice adversity and he was resilient in responding to that yeah as if the avalanche needed any more motivation to get past this series but once they do we can hopefully look back at this move on from it and just learn from it right that's all we can really take from this situation it sucks it's sad but it's it's done gotta just grow from it as a as a community so um we'll end it at that thanks everybody for listening to our post game podcast and to our thoughts we really appreciate it